0: That is what sales enablement is. We are the orchestrators. I also call us the, di- the owners of dialects and languages. Why? Because we've got to be able to speak marketing, product marketing, engineering, HR, etc. cetera. Take that out to the prospect and customer, find out what their needs are, then come back and reverse translate that back into all of the other lines of business.
1: The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the B2BMX Podcast. My name is Claudia. And I'm Alicia. And we've got a really awesome session uh, lined up for you guys today coming straight from Scottsdale in February. Roderick Jefferson actually came to us with this awesome session on shortening speed to revenue by breaking the complexity of sales enablement. And he's the perfect person to kind of take the stage and talk about this because uh, he's a CEO of Roderick Jefferson and Associates, which is a global sales enablement consultancy. So he's a coach, he's a keynote speaker, all of the above and he has some really interesting things to to share about how to really take sales enablement to the next level.
2: Yeah, and I think the key thing here is this session really provides a step-by-step playbook for all of the sales professional sales leaders listening right now that really want to up their sales enablement game, so to speak, starting with everything from talent acquisition to onboarding, which uh, Roderick really says is, is the foundation for success. But he walks through all of the remaining steps, touching on everything from tech integration to measures for success and so much more. So I really think this session is going to give everyone listening what they need to bring their sales enablement strategy to the next level. So with that, we'll let Roderick do his thing, provide those best practices, and and really give you that framework you need for success.
0: Welcome, and thank you for coming. Um, I'm Roderick Jefferson. I'm the CEO of Roderick Jefferson & Associates. We are a sales enablement, sales training, and sales coaching practice. Why do you care? Because in some way or other, Sales enablement is going to, if it's not today, it's going to impact you, your organization, regardless of what industry you work in, for as long as you're working. Where's AI come into play? Well, things have changed. It used to be sales training. You show up, we throw a bunch of stuff at you, we may actually make you take some e-learning before you come in. That should provide a baseline or at least feel like we've got you prepared. Those days are gone. Now it's changed. We've got to look at things like micro learning. How do we pull out knowledge bites that's going to not only hold your intention in the seven minutes that we get with you, but it's also going to inform you. It's going to create not only a baseline, but a long range of opportunities to break up complexity of selling. So before I get started, I, I sit out with you and I would think what I'm about to say. Why should I listen to this guy? I know you're all thinking it's the end of the day, if you're still thinking, because I know I stand between you and cocktails. <laughs> so I'm going to keep this as brief as possible. So I started out in sales and started out as a BDR and quickly moved up into the AE role. Um, did really well, went to President's Club a couple times and then realized I absolutely love the process of selling and being able to collaborate with all the other business units and lines of business as opposed to taking down big deals. So at that time I said, why not? Let's go into sales training. It sounded like fun. I've got a couple of little templates. Okay, let's be honest. They were PowerPoint and Word things that looked kind of beautified. But what I decided at that point was how could I impact the customer's journey by sharing the knowledge that I had with all of the other folks that were in our sales organizations. And it's worked out pretty well. Um, I have been fortunate. I've run Sales Enablement, for Siebel Systems, Network Appliance, Business Objects, eBay, HP, Oracle, and Salesforce and Marketo. Great resume for me, I know, but beside that, one a day, some of those companies are going to be big. I'm counting on the stock. Where we are today is how do we take that and share it with you as sales folks, as marketers, and how do we make that a critical piece of what you do forward and clearing up what is sales enablement? Let me ask the room, what's sales enablement in your organization, what does that mean? This is the interactive part. <laughs> what's sales enablement mean? <laughs> yes and yes. <laughs> now let's try it one time at a time, right here. Just preparing sales in general for upcoming
1: campaigns.
0: Because you started with just, we're going to hopefully change that. Well, more than just that. There we go. How about in the back? We're this close. Absolutely. That's definitely a component of it. Yes? Another component of it. Absolutely. To help prospects understand their value proposition. Thank you. I was waiting for someone to say something about the customer. Can you say that a little louder for me, please? To help prospects understand their value proposition. To help prospects and customers at the end of the day, we all want to create a customer-obsessed organization. Do we not? Is it just me? Bueller, is this thing on? (laughs) Yes, of course we do. So how do you do it? What I want to do is actually walk you through seven steps that we utilize inside of my consulting practice to do that very thing. And it starts with strategy. I realized quickly that if you ask 10 people what sales enablement means, you'll probably get 12 answers. And the reason is because it's still being defined. Every day I hear another component that kind of goes in that big, I'll say gumbo just because it's Mardi Gras week and I feel like I should have beads or something. But in that big mixing bowl to pull it all together. And the way we explain it is, Breaking the complexity of sales enablement into scalable and repeatable processes that, and here's the important part, lead to decreased time to revenue and increased sales productivity. Because there are a lot of things that are being done for the sake of metrics, but those metrics are not necessarily revenue generating. And so we go further, we break it into three pieces. Communication, collaboration, and orchestration. Now, the communication piece, let's look at that from a onboarding new hire perspective for those that are in hyper growth companies? How do we make sure that we're able to not only articulate our messaging and positioning that we can validate through accreditations and those kind of things, but how do we then take that and put it into practical application? Well, it starts with that collaboration. And I look at collaboration from two perspectives. One, the lines of business, marketing, product marketing, engineering, product management, HR. Yes, HR as well as well as sales and sales enablement. It has to be a fully contained circle because that's what happens in that last piece. And I'll give a musical analogy of how I define sales enablement. Think about an orchestra. Think about all of the pieces. There's the woodwinds, there's the brass, there's the percussion, and everyone decides to play notes differently at the same time. Sounds like noise, right? Until one person steps up on the podium, taps the stand, and now everyone aligns their notes and it becomes a beautiful piece of music. That is what sales enablement is. We are the orchestrators. They also call us the, di- the owners of dialects and languages. Why? Because we've got to be able to speak marketing, product marketing, engineering, HR, et cetera. Take that out to the prospect and customer. Find out what their needs are. Then come back and reverse translate that back into all of the other lines of business. If that is not happening inside of your organizations today, let's talk. (laughs) In all seriousness, if that's not happening today, then you really need to look at enhancing what enablement not only means, but what they do inside of your company and what are the results that come from it. Because in a simple, very simple explanation, it's about getting the sales teams in the right conversations the right way with the right people and providing the right tools. If you do that, you've got step one and I do mean step one to a world-class sales enablement program. As it says, it's a marathon, not a sprint. We begin, we believe that it all starts here. Now, I guarantee if I walked past and asked you your company's ICP or ideal customer or client profile, you could probably rattle it off for me. But if I asked you what's your IEP, your ideal employee profile, would it be as easy for you to define? Well, as companies are growing, especially through hyper growth, through mergers, acquisitions, shifts in competitive landscape, what happens is that IEP changes. So we can't start where we traditionally started, which was onboarding, both the company onboarding as well as sales onboarding. It has to start back further at the talent acquisition because as your companies grow and change, if you're not adapting the type of sellers that you're hiring, guess what? You're not serving your customer that's moving, that you're moving towards. You're only serving the customers that you have today. And unless something has changed, I don't believe that businesses can maintain growth by existing business only. Correct? Still require net new business. So in order to do that, you have to shift how you're focusing on who you bring in. The next is the onboarding piece. It's about finding and creating and designing and deploying role-specific onboarding. Why role-specific? Because we know what's too technical for one is not technical or deep enough for others. So it has to ensure that it touches all parts of the organization. The next is that role-specific business acumen. How do you do the job in order to create customer-obsessed organization and focus solely on the buyer's journey and where you fit into that buyer's journey? I'm going to come back and talk to that a a bit later. Then there's the reinforcement piece. Because as it traditionally was with training, you rolled things out, you threw it against the wall, and you hoped that it worked. Today it requires far more than hope. You know, i I've, the hashtag that I, I use so frequently is hashtag hope is not a strategy. Hope is a wonderful thing, don't get me wrong. But without a strategy behind it, without an execution model, and without the right metrics, it dies on the vine. And then there's the measurements piece of making sure you have not just metrics, but the right metrics. How is that defined? That's actually defined inside of your organization. And I'm going to talk to you and show you a bunch of metrics later that I've seen work successfully, that I hope that you'll adopt some of these into your organization as well. And the final is another piece that tends to get left out, and that's succession planning. Are you creating more followers or are you creating more leaders? And if you're doing it, do you have a consistent model in place for, dare I say, sales coaching. I don't mean sales leadership. I don't mean sales management. I mean true coaches. The problem is we get these rock star sales folks. We promote them up to sales manager, but we never actually teach them how to coach. So, if you don't have a coaching model in place and a proficiency model for coaching, it's something you might want to take back to your organization as well. Starts with onboarding, and I'm just going to build this out. And I'm going to stop for a moment and let you read these from LinkedIn and from Glassdoor. And then I'll talk about the importance of them. You know what I get out of that slide? It's quite simple. We should be working on a retention model from day one for those that are having problem with churn of sellers, for those that are having people come in and out, for those that are in hyper growth mode and trying to play catch up all the time. There's a rather simple way to focus on that. And instead of trying to get them prepared on what they're going to do moving forward, find out kind of what's important to them and then find out how that meshes in. And again, that goes back to that IEP that I talked about earlier of that ideal employee profile. If you're hiring the right type of folks for where your company is moving to, then it's really easy for enablement to enable them and get them up and running. And then it's even easier for the leaders to coach. If one of those components are missing, that's when you start having problems in your sales organizations. So let's talk about onboarding. I think there are four components, that I'm going to build this out, and the way that we approach onboarding. One is a simple needs assessment of all of the lines of business, and I'm not talking just to sales. Talk to sales. Make sure that you have input from marketing, from product marketing, from product management, etc. Because you're going to find out by asking the same questions, you're probably going to get variations or different answers to those questions. And sometimes it's actually really good to have different answers, because now you can collectively pull them all together. Sometimes it's not so good to have different answers, because that means now you have silos built. Show of hands, who has siloed? No, never mind, don't put your hands up. Those silos become a piece of an organization that can literally kill a business unit. And as it grows and festers, it kills the most important part of any business, your culture. It truly does. If you have a mismatch in answers to certain questions, if you have a mismatch in collaboration or lack of collaboration, or you've got finger pointing, you've got a cultural issue. And that cultural issue is something that can either fester and, and kill or something that can grow and expand if it's stopped early. So then it's, it's about, you know, resource planning and understanding what's out there. Making sure that there's an actual framework for your end-to-end programs from onboarding all the way out to that succession planning, as I said, and then taking that whole piece out. How are you going to execute? And what is the role of each of the lines of business in that execution? I think there are five P's. Got to understand what your purpose is. and It starts, as I said, with culture. Got to define what the charter for enablement is, and what does success look like? And This one is incredibly important because otherwise, sales enablement becomes similar to IT, and no disrespect to IT, I love them, they have saved my career a number of times. But they become the fixers of broken things. And that's not what we are. We are truly here to partner with all of the lines of business and to be that hub that spokes out to every part of the organization. The next is, do we have the right people? Back to that IEP again, right? Do we have the right talent? We all know compensation drives behavior. Do we have the right compensation model in place? And back to succession planning. What are we doing to create more leaders and less followers inside of your organization? The next is, what are the programs that are in place from onboarding all the way through domain expertise and continuing education? And again, that those are role specific that fit the given organization and the the given role. Next is, how are we getting the word out? How are we as sales enablement partnering with marketing from a communication perspective? Who actually owns sales comms? And who's responsible for delivering and or vetting those comms with the sales leaders the answer is both. Sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? But if you're sending out communications from a marketing perspective to the sales team and you're not getting results, go back to your enablement person and say, hey, I need to work with you and craft this. Is this in sales language? Is this in sales speak? Is this in marketing language? Are they getting it and are we hitting the points that's important to them? Are we starting with the whiffum for them or are we trying to push information and content out to them? The last P is platforms. How are you going to scale? What tools are you using currently? How are you going to automate some of the things that you're doing today? And then finally, what are the right metrics? When are they communicated? How are they communicated out? And who is actually communicating that? Those will be the make or break five P's right there for having successful sales enablement. I'll stop for a moment. I see a lot of cameras up. Where does it start? It starts and ends with the buyer's journey. But here's the problem, and this may be directly related to your companies. We want to start here. What's our sales process? What's the sales methodology that we're going to follow? How are we going to opti-plan, and how are we going to review things? And finally, what's forecasting look like, and do we have a deal desk, and what are we doing with that deal desk? News flash. None of that matters if you don't focus on your buyer's journey. If you cannot articulate and if you don't have inside of your companies your buyer's journey mapped out where your company or your solution fits into the buyer's journey, how you're going to impact them or accelerate them, how you're going to create solutions for the problems that they have, guess what? They don't care about any of that. None of that matters. What matters is right here, and I always tell People when I'm I'm speaking, don't focus on products. Don't focus on solutions. Focus on the experience your prospect and your customer gets from doing business with only you and your company. Because if you focus on those other things, guess what? You're talking features and benefits. And we all know what that's like, right? No one wants to be talked at. The other piece is, And I'll add to that buyer's journey, when you're finding out and and mapping out and articulating that buyer's journey, remember when you're getting that information from them, and I know it's hard, I know, I know, I know it's hard, but stop giving presentations and start having conversations. Too many times we want to tell them how wonderful we are, what our solutions are. Oh, here's our infamous NASCAR slide. Sound familiar? They don't care care about one thing. We're broken. How do you uniquely work with and partner with us to give us solutions long-term so that we feel better? We've got a really, really bad toothache. I hear you have Novocaine. Guess what? We want that. We want that pain to go away. Now, sometimes, of course, we've got to create more pain in order to articulate where we are. But at the end of the day, they want the pain to go away. And the way we do it starts with onboarding. Now, I believe that onboarding should be tied to your company orientation. And this is a serious question. By show of hands, how many folks in here today would say that their sales onboarding is tied together with their company orientation onboarding for new hires? Wow, that's more than normal. It rarely is. It's you come in and you're a new hire and you get all the cool swag. They walk you through the history of the company. You get a chance to meet the executives. You may have lunch with them and then stop. Now, if you're a salesperson, now you leave and you go off to what? Sales training, sales boot camp. Why are those not connected? You are creating a problem from day one if those are not connected. Because if I'm a new hire, a couple of things should happen. I should be confirmed in the orientation that I've come to the right company, would you agree? I should be on fire and ready to run through a wall when I walk out of there. And if I'm a salesperson, I should feel like that is the first step in my journey, not some crazy step that I have to sidestep to restart the journey. Would you agree? So, let me show you how we look at onboarding. Four pieces. First is, what are the basics? Who are we? What do we do, right? And again, tied to your orientation. But here's another point and component that has to be in there if you don't have it today. And that is mandatory pre-work. And that pre-work should include a stand and deliver validation of your messaging and positioning. What is your company pitch and how do I give it? And if you really want to get fun with it, don't allow them to use PowerPoint, make it a whiteboard. Why would you do that? Because as we all know, you can hide behind PowerPoint. How many times have you seen this from a salesperson? They don't know how to articulate a given slide. They say, oh, we're going to move past this and come back to it later. And you never get back there. If you're whiteboarding, you cannot hide. You need to be able to speak directly to a given scenario. And what we found that works best is go to sales and find out one of the critical losses from last quarter. And use that as a way to build out your whiteboard because now you're actually hitting real life scenarios. And you're also partnering closer with sales to bring deeper value into that organization as well. The next is the boot camp, the on-site training. That should be about three things. Key differentiation, competitive advantage, and business value, only. Key differentiation, competitive advantage, and business value. Now here's the fun part. As sales folks, we're very good as the first two we can tell you about key differentiation and competitive advantage all day. Newsflash: customer does not care about those. They care about business value. And we define it as, so Mr. and Mrs. Customer, we've got all these cool bells, toys, and whistles, but at the end of the day, we can help you do one of two things. Increase productivity and efficiency or decrease pain. Is there any other reason that someone would buy that does not fall under that umbrella? One of the two. Would you agree? A couple not. All right, the next is, now let's take it to a deep dive and make sure that we understand, not just at a surface level, but really practical application, both technical and non-technical. And then finally, it's the role mastery of continuing education. That's the piece that gets left out. Most companies are really, really good at the first three of onboarding, but this tends to fall out. And actually, this is probably one of the, I would say, the most important. Because everyone's excited when they're new, but what are you doing with your legacy sellers that have been there forever, that all they ever hear about are all the new cool things that you're doing for your new hires? Sound familiar? Change it today. Find a way to make sure that you're enhancing your legacy folks, that you're including them in the first three pieces, and that you are also finding coaching opportunities for them for your high potentials. So from there, I'll now show you what our world class Bootcamp has looked like, and not just me, I, we've been fortunate. We were named by Search Decisions as Sales Onboarding Program of the Year by what you're about to see. First is there's that pre-work we talked about. Get that baseline established. The next is business value, key differentiators, building that baseline around your network, and then finally pulling it all together. And if you look at this, it's actually built in the life cycle of a sale. It starts with discovery and qualification, goes all the way through articulating the messaging and positioning, and then it steps into the network that will be required around the methodology, et cetera, and the other roles inside of the company. And finally, we actually ended that by bringing a live customer on site. I know that's dangerous, but if you don't do it, shouldn't everything start and end with your customer? Wouldn't you want your new hires to find out why Your customer answers the phone when your competitors call. What are they saying? What makes them stick with you? Bad implementations happen all the time. Why do you guys stick with us after that? What did we do to earn that trust from you? If you can do this, you've got a great start. Now, there's a case study that ties that all together. And that case study, again, was built based upon a loss from sales in the previous quarter. Now, what happens? The sales leaders are engaged because you've gotten their content. The sales leaders love you because you are helping to put together the case study that their their people are going to walk through and the sales leaders are ready to partner. Why? Because now we are trying to solve problems that we had before so that we don't repeat those problems. You now start to have an alignment between sales and marketing. Just a quick case study by one of our customers here in Phoenix, Integrate. This is what we were able to do, their words. And it's not because we are wonderful, I think it comes down to sales enablement is really not about asking the right questions. It's really about listening for the right answers. Here's what we were able to do. We aligned them, we created an onboarding program and end-to-end we put together role-specific training, we also put together learning paths, a number of things that came together. But all of this happened in 3 months. Why? Because we actually listened to where the problems were, designed a program around those problems, got the program vetted, we spoke to multiple lines of business, not just sales, we talked to leaders top down and we also surveyed the sellers top up. You know what we found out? Newsflash. It didn't equate what the sales leaders thought we were getting and they were doing The folks out in the real world that we're selling, that wasn't helping them. So in order to do that, we took all that, put it back, and said one question. Here's a pen. Please go up to the whiteboard and draw out your buyer's journey. And initially, they couldn't. They had components of. But by the end of the engagement, they not only had it defined, but they also understood where the cracks were. The next piece is, now you've got the strategy in place, what's the architecture? Well, it comes down to having all of these components in order to optimize your business. One is making sure there's a learning management system in place, right? Making sure that everything, all of your content is in a single location, and it's being parsed out role specific. The next, and this one seems to be far more prevalent these days a single event calendar so that folks aren't going all over the place trying to find the important upcoming events that are happening and also the replays for all of those. The next is a content management system. Now, not just a CMS, but one that is being vetted by and rated by the sellers that will let you on the marketing side know of your content, what is high value, what is being used, and what should be retired. There's no longer guessing because sales folks will let you know. The next is the reinforcement pieces and marketing has to be included in those. That's not just for sales. It's to sales, but what's happening when you've got a new rollout of your company pitch? When the competitive landscape shifts? When there's mergers and acquisitions? When there are new pieces coming up? You've got to make sure you get that out to the sales organization before they actually need it. How do you do that? Asking questions and sitting at the table with them. Show of hands, on a quarterly basis, how many of you get together with sales, marketing, product marketing, and product management at the same table? A few of you. Good. It, that number's starting to grow when I ask that question. If you're not doing it, start. And here's why. As marketers, how many times has someone said, hey, we've got a boot camp coming up in two weeks. Can you guys show up Thursday at 2 o'clock for half an hour and do this and then leave? Sound familiar? Kill that. Instead, have a quarterly meeting that says, here is the boot camp schedule for the rest of the year. Here's what we're asking for from marketing. Here's what we need from you. Here's what we'll provide. And here's how it all comes together. And then you have an annual training and enablement calendar. So there's no surprises from marketing at the last minute. There's no surprises when you've got new content and they're upset because it didn't get to them in time because they didn't give you enough time and leeway and runway. And what becomes more important is all of a sudden, you start to see all of those organizations that were in disparate pieces start to come together. Now, marketing says we've got new content that has to be rolled out. Okay, great, we'll get that into our our next iteration. Product management says, guess what? This has moved up on the release cycle. We're doing this. Great, let's get that incorporated too. Product management is ready to go with engineering. We've got this, you've been asking for it, how do we get it out? And they rarely actually get a chance to see what happens from the time they pass that off. Here's an opportunity to find out from you, how is that being received out in the real world? Is this working? Are we getting this out in a fast enough schedule? And want to get creative? Include HR in that meeting as well. Why? Because back to that IEP. Here's what's happened now that we've changed our hiring model and also our hiring profile, thank you, HR, or we're still not getting what we want. We've got a high number of churn. We've got to get this thing changed. Coaching tools are critical. Again, as I talked about earlier, if you're not coaching, then you're managing. And unfortunately, those sellers will manage their teams the same way they tried to manage their patch. And we all know that does not work too well. And the final piece, it's a mobile world. If you're not, if you don't have a podcast library or, and or playlist being used today, you are missing the boat sorely. Those playlists can do a number of things. For onboarding, it now gives an opportunity to highlight some of your legacy sellers, as I said earlier, as podcast guests or part of those playlists. For continuing education, as you are now changing your messaging and positioning, what a better way to get it out? In small knowledge bites. Five to seven minutes max, something they can take As they're flying, something they can take to the gym when they're on the treadmill, wherever it may be. But enhance your digital, um, sorry, enhance all of your digital messaging and make sure that it's in podcast form. Why? That's how we live, isn't it? Is it just me? Bueller, again, interactive, talk to me. Hey, I've got 95 more slides and I'm not afraid to use them. (laughs) And if you want cocktails, there we go. All righty. So, as I talk a lot about metrics, I implore both sales and sales enablement professionals to stop saying that we drive revenue. Because unless you carry a bag, you do not drive revenue. You influence revenue, but you don't drive it. The people that are out there, the sellers, they're driving. Unless you've got a revenue quota, and I mean a dollars and cents quota, which in some cases may happen, we're influencing. So, I want to give you a couple of different things that, I, that we've seen working really well. From an influence perspective, right here. From a sales ramp, whether it be your AEs, your BDRs, or your SDRs, some of the metrics to take a look at. And these are things that we influence. Now, the things that enablement owns is on the right side. Yeah, you caught my typo, thanks. <laughs> this should say "influenced." my apologies. I'll get that changed before it goes out to you. This is influenced, the other side is owned. Way to make the speaker look bad, thanks. <laughs> no, thank you for catching that. Seriously, I'll make sure that, that gets changed before it goes out to you. Another case study from another one of our clients. What do we do? It was more about organizational alignment and also they needed uh, an end-to-end enablement program. And we were fortunate enough to be able to partner with them. Now, you've done all of those things. You've hit the strategy, the architecture, the execution. What are the deliverables? There are your world-class sales enablement deliverables right there by category, from assessment all the way out through the readout in your executive summary. I'll step back out of the way. Show of hands. Who's working with all of those liberals today? Okay. Here's an opportunity now to take that back to the marketing org, to the product marketing, and to the sales org to say, hey, where are we on these? And by the way, all of those results should be kept in your CRM. There's no more I feel like I think we're doing this, um, I'm not sure, all of those, should come directly out of your CRM and can be validated and show value for not only sales enablement but the partnership across the lines of business. So let's talk about execution a little bit. I think there are five pieces. As I said, we are certainly not the fixtures of broken things. We're not sales scribes and enablement is not sales support. No, we're sales partners. We are at the table not only with a voice but with a vote as well. And we are working as the hub that spokes out to every other part of the organization to make sure that all of the dots connect. And it's five easy steps. It's about infrastructure and augmentation. What do we have today? How is it working? What do we need? And how do we go get it and who do we get it from? The next is around team support. What are the programs, processes, tools, et cetera that are in place today? Because when I ran enablement, we had no less than 10 deliverables per quarter. And these were big rocks, not not small things. So how do we make sure that those are happening? And can we do it in-house or do we need to go external to bring in a consultant to help out with that as well? The next is around coaching. Do we have a sales coaching process and a proficiency model in place with multiple layers and steps to define not only how we're doing things, but is it happening consistently? And is it helping to move the revenue needle? The next is that we talked about. Do we have the right metrics in place? And do we have ownership in one place and influence in another? of those metrics. And finally, how do we align sales and marketing closer than we are today? How do we make sure that there is a true partnership and a handoff between the two organizations so that there is no finger pointing? Wait, we gave you a lot of leads. Leads suck. No, that's not it. What happened is the definition of a lead may not have been clear in clarity, right? We may be giving you exactly what we think you need or we may be giving you what you asked for and you asked for the wrong thing. On the sales side, it may be we need it in a different format. We're getting these things and oh, by the way, the competitive landscape has shifted. There's been mergers and acquisitions. There's been collapse of the marketplace. We didn't follow up with you to get that information on how we need things differently today than when we needed it yesterday. Another case study where we did this. And quick framework, five components to success, talent acquisition, onboarding, communications, what does asset management look like, and how are you developing your enablement team? Right. It may be one or two people today. It may be 17 later. We're working with an organization now. They have 102 people in their sales enablement organization, 102. They're a large global company, and they need it. Because what they've done in in a brilliant stroke of genius, they broke it up into regions and they have owners for the regions from onboarding all the way out through succession planning. So you're not overloading people. And they've also created a shared service of coordinators in enablement. Why do you need coordinators? Because that allows the program managers to actually do their job. They're not worrying about how are we going to get things set up. What rooms are we going to use? Who's flying in where? Let the coordinators take care of that piece and then let the program managers focus on the actual execution. Now, here's the best thing they did. They actually utilized that program, the coordinator role as a stepping stone into program management. You've already done the job. You know what's happening. Now, all we have to do is groom you on how to be a sales enablement professional. And they have gone incredibly huge. I would say initially they were there Time to first close for new hires was 88 days in the SMB market now. Not in the enterprise space, but in their SMB market, 88 days. We went through and we implemented all of these. Six months later, it was 54 days. Think about what that does from a revenue perspective and how that's really driving and moving the needle. And we made some small tweaks and in other cases, We helped reorg their entire sales enablement organization. They had a lot of people that were really good, just not happy in the roles that they were doing. That may be the same case in the organizations that you sit in today. Just some of the companies, I'll get past that. I want to go to key takeaways. This is the important part. Because like you, I hate to sit out there and someone talk about all these things, but I want to give you something that you can walk away tomorrow and put into practical application. Here's an interesting one, focus on building partnerships across the organization instead of a brand. I know, everyone has to have a solid brand and I don't disagree with that. But sometime the brand of who you are overcomes what you're trying to do and it becomes more important, which means to the other lines of business, you become less important. The next, communicate early and often. Marketing, things change all the time. Sales leaders, we need to know this, and we need to know it early, and we need to know it from different angles because on the technical side with the SCS and SAs, they need to be able to go deep, deep, deep on this. The BDRs, SDRs, they need to understand how to position it at a high high level across multiple ICPs, right, across multiple profiles. Think about this from a customer support and customer success perspective. They don't need to just go deep. They've got to go deep and wide. So think the next time you're rolling out content and you're making changes to messaging and positioning, not just what are you rolling out, but who's it going to, and how deep or wide does this need to go? You can't peanut butter content anymore, because what's too technical for one is not nearly technical enough for another. Or what's deep enough for one doesn't even scratch the surface for the others on the technical side of what you need. <laughs> Do not assume just because there's activity coming out of your world that it's equating to value for the receiver of your content. I saw this morning in in the kickoff and it reminded me. Rather than focusing on what you're going to get out, explain to the other lines of business why it's important and where it fits back into that customer journey. There it is. Don't sell products or solutions. Sell the experience of working uniquely only with your company. It's not about just talking about competitive landscape anymore. It's not just talking about how different you do things. It's about explaining the why and how you're going to take away that pain with the Novocaine that only your company has. (laughs) Learn the language of your stakeholders. Don't talk to sales folks and marketing speak. We will shut down. Don't talk to customer support the same way that you talk to technical sales because that's not the language they speak. Learn their language and then figure out how to translate that into the content that you're putting out and then vet that with them and then vet it again and then iterate on that content. Coaching, 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 right? We all want to be great leaders. And I think intrinsically people want to do the right thing. Most of the time they just haven't been taught what the right thing is or how to do it and how to adjust that quote unquote right thing for the individuals. We all try and coach across an entire organization, but no two are the same. But yet sometimes we don't adjust our coaching style to the receiver because we're so intent on getting out the message. I said it earlier. Stop giving presentations and start having conversations. As with you, no one wants to be talked at. Everyone wants to feel like they at least have a voice in what's coming out, if not a vote. No, it's not always going to be by committee. But it will be more pertinent if you just go and ask your stakeholders, hey, does this work? Does this flow? Or as you guys are out in the field with prospects and customers, Can we just ask for a feedback loop to come back to us so we can hear what's being said out there and how it's being received in the real world? Now, that's the thing I love about enablement is we go out with the sales folks and then come back and say, hey, marketing, product marketing. They love the company pitch. Problem is you get to slide seven or eight, it gets a little fuzzy. Can we smooth that out or take it out? Or why are we doing the NASCAR slide so early? We haven't even established ownership yet. We haven't even established rapport. Hey, product management, we've heard this 10 times. How do we get this moved up on the release cycle? Hey, HR, I still don't feel like we're quite there on the hiring profile yet. Can we make some tweaks? Why? Because we are your partner. That's the goal is to make all of us bigger, faster, and stronger. Because it's old adage, but it's true. If all of the lines of business don't work together to create a customer-obsessed organization, then it's just words, it's not your culture, it's a mantra, it's something that you put on your website. You know what, customers know and they will also talk to each other on whether or not you live that or if it's just something you put out. Finally, I'll leave you with this, I believe we train animals and we enable people. (laughs) I'm going to let that settle in for a second. It's funny because I see the laugh kind of going like a wave all the way to the back. That's it. If you'd like to know more, you'd like to get in contact. If your organization would like help with your sales enablement initiatives, if you'd like to know what our Novocaine looks like and how we actually came up to these pieces, I would love to have a chance to talk to you. Now, if I may, just a couple of questions. Um, I don't want to just stand up and throw information out to you. You came for a specific reason. So are there any questions in regards to the content? Yes. Are there any strategies or best practices uh, to include in a BDR script so they can have better conversations, more qualified conversations? So the question is around scripting for BDRs to make them more proficient and efficient and have better conversations. Correct. Yes. The answer is yes, there are, absolutely. Because, again, first I would start with making sure you you outline the profiles that they're talking to find out what's top of mind for them, find out where their hot buttons are, find out where the most common problems are, and then work with the BDR manager to roll that out because what's important to your manager is imperative to you. Make sense? Any other questions? Everybody wants a cocktail, don't they? (laughs) So do I. (laughs) Thank you very much. I sincerely appreciate it.
2: All right, so what did we tell you? I mean, Roderick provided not just the framework, but the real examples, case studies, takeaways for sales enablement. I think covering everything from the the personal side of it, right, that that we're really building partnerships, we're building community, to the tactical side, the nuts and bolts of what you need to do, the solutions you need to implement, the metrics you need to be tracking. So I think he really covered the full gamut. Claudia, what do you think? Absolutely. And it's really, again, it's Coaching, like he said, during the session,
1: coaching is a skill that you have to develop over time. And instead of just talking at people, start having conversations and all that magic will just work for you. So the session was awesome. I loved that the case studies from Integrate and Showpad, there's just great stuff in there.
2: Yep. Absolutely. And we'll we'll try our best to include more sales sessions, some more sales speakers, because I really do think sales and marketing need to be working in tandem, that they're two very different disciplines that require their own insights, their own best practices. So if you guys have any ideas around folks that we should have on the show or experts that we should interview. Please definitely do drop us a line on Twitter at VitaBMX or through our personal channels. And as always, thanks again so much for taking the time out to listen. We'll be back next week. Thanks, everyone, and take care.